Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Sometimes there's just a little too many hills and walnut hills. And if I want to go for a run, I head down. Here's a pro tip. Anyone new to Cincinnati, head down to Friendship Park. It's on the river, free parking for two hours. And then you can just wander all along. So I parked there and I headed to toward like the Reds and the Bengals Stadium, right? So that's all flat. Much better on my knees, feeling good. And it's just a very peaceful, peaceful walk. Go check it out. So I'm headed that way, and I realize my favorite bridge, the suspension bridge. If you know, it's been under construction for a while. Our very own Andrew was, like, dangling from the top working on the electric. Ask him about it sometime. So this time I realized that the walking path along the left side was open, and I was like, sweet, I haven't been on this bridge in a while. So I finished my run over there, and then I ended up in Kentucky. I'm from Kentucky. I'm not from Covington. I'm from Lexington. But I don't know. I was feeling just nostalgic that morning. I had all these feelings about standing in my old home and state and looking over the river. And there was beautiful Cincinnati, my, my chosen home that I've been here for 23 years. And I had a lot of thoughts. So I'm just walking along in Covington there. There's really pretty park. And I noticed statues. Two of them really caught my eye. The first one, if we want to put it up on the screen, I'm going to get his name right. The, the striking statue is Misha Kanakwa. I really liked how he's looking out over the city there. And let me read you the plaque that was at his feet. The English settlers translated his name to be Little Turtle. He was a sagamore, which was a chief of the Miami people. And here's what it says. The great Miami war chief fought to protect the Indian hunting grounds of Kentucky and the villages of Southern Ohio from the onrush of American settlers. Little Turtle twice led a confederation of Miami, Shawnee, and Delaware Indians in victory against American armies. Between battles, Little Turtle hunted and fished in this part of Northern Kentucky. That was in the early 1790s. And it was heartbreaking for me to just just stand there and be like, this is where I live. And here's someone that was being pushed out. And to imagine what his experiences were, right where I stood, right where I lived, where I grew up, where I live now. And to just feel that sense of place and of people being pushed. The second statue that I came across was a man sitting on a bench reading a book. It was a unique pose, so... I just sat beside him for a little bit. James Bradley. He was born in Africa in the early 19th century and was stolen by slave traders at age two or three. He doesn't even remember. He was brought to America and lived in the nearby Pendleton County of Kentucky. And by the time he was 15, the whole family moved down to Arkansas. But he began to work at night and realized he could develop skills and sell things in order to make money to purchase his freedom. And when he did, he wanted to come to a free state. So he came back through his original place of Kentucky, 
crossed over the river in Covington, and he found Cincinnati, a free state. On the plaque there at his feet, it reads, the life of this one man summarizes the experiences of millions. James was being pulled to a place that wasn't his home. Little Turtle had been pushed away. James had been pulled and held in. And each one of them experienced heartbreak and were misunderstood by those around them and were seeking freedom. Today, we're going to read about when Jesus' ministry began. He came preaching freedom, and he was pushed away by some, and he was pulled tight by others. Let's dig into Luke 4 today. If you want to make your way there, let me recap where we've been. We are in our series called Journey of the Redeemed, and today we're digging right into where Jesus begins his ministry. Last week, we saw what happened before Jesus began his ministry. He heard voices. He was baptized, and he heard the voice of God coming from heaven in pride and love. And Jesus was baptized even though he wasn't sinful, but he did it as an example for us. We still baptize. We still believe in baptism as a way to show our way of following God and seeking Jesus' rescue and following his spirit. And then after his baptism, Jesus was tested in the desert wilderness, and he heard the voice of lies that came through the devil. And as he experienced both the highs and the lows, the positive voices and the voices that were set out to destroy him, he was ready. He was prepared on his own to now go into ministry where he would hear new voices that we'll, we'll read about today. But in each case, what we read about last week was that God's presence was seen in a spirit. The spirit showed up as a dove when he was baptized, and it showed up as the one who guided him to the wilderness to be tested. And today, here in Luke 4, verse 14, we read, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. News about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. This emphasis on the Spirit shows that Jesus was not following his own agenda. He was following God's plan. And so what he's going to say and what he's going to do is going to be to consider the greater, greater eternal plan, the better plan. And so Jesus, it says he was known in the region, he's teaching, and then he decides to head back to his hometown of Nazareth. Let's find Nazareth on a map. I tried really hard to make a map and realized I needed some better skills. But hopefully you see there's a red circle up there. So we've got some bodies of water. We've got the Mediterranean Sea here on our left. We've got the body of water below is the Dead Sea. And the tiny little blue is the Galilean Sea, Sea of Galilee. And you can see Nazareth is circled there, kind of somewhere in between all that. So that's where Jesus grew up. So thinking about his hometown, let's look at verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled it and found the place where it is written. This is a quote from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone was upon him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We read that and we're like, those are some words. But that's like microphone dropped, tossed over the chair. Like, this is big news. I mean, what he said, what he said was mind-blowing. Look at this. Look at this. You can go back to the slide. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. What have the Jewish people been waiting for? They have been waiting for someone called the Messiah, which means the anointed one which means this person that they kept saying, God promised us, we're reading all of our scripture here in Isaiah and all of the prophets, and they're saying, God's saying, I will send someone. I will send someone. He will be in the line of David. He's going to rescue Israel. And their minds are like, yes, we are ready. We are ready to defeat our enemies. We are ready to be victorious. We are ready to be the Israel that everyone will be talking about. And it's a man sitting in a synagogue. And here's the other thing. When when Jesus says this, he's claiming to be someone that they've been waiting for, and they're looking, and they're like, no, wait, we know this guy. Verse 22 says, all spoke well of him. They were amazed at his gracious words, but isn't this Joseph's son, they said? Like, Jesus was a little kid. He was running around their feet. Like, some of them sitting in the synagogue today, like, he had been playing with their kids when he was a kid. I, was, I got the opportunity to go to Israel in 2005, and we got to stand and look at the beautiful views in Nazareth. Look at the sights. Check out the landscapes. But my favorite photo was when we came across this, a playground. In Nazareth. And I just couldn't stop smiling because I was like, kids are playing here. Jesus was a kid running around these parts. And sometimes I forget those pieces of his life we don't get to hear about and we try to imagine. But that's what the people knew. They're like, we saw you grow up. We know who your mother is. We know who your father is. And in fact, what was Jesus doing up until now, age 30? He probably was working in the family business because that's what you did. And it says Joseph was a carpenter, although a better translation might be stonemason. That that might change your perspective. But either way, whether he's working with wood or working with stone, can you imagine him just learning the craft with Joseph? Like making beauty and functionality out of these natural things. That's what Jesus has been doing. And so if you suddenly saw somebody who'd grown up and you knew, you'd known them since they were a kid, and suddenly they're like, I have the secret identity. It's like a Marvel or DC comic or something, right? Like there's something going on here and you're like, I don't know if I fully believe you. But also, they're like, our picture of the Messiah is this military leader or this government person who's going to take over, kick Rome out of here. So Jesus is not living up to their expectations of a Messiah. Then he says something that makes them go from amazed to angry. 
In verse 24, he says, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he goes into the stories of two prophets. So he's like, I know I'm here in my hometown. You're not going to believe me. But back in the day, Elijah was a prophet. And you know what? He was sent during a famine to help a widow. It's one of the coolest stories, one of my favorite stories, the widow of Zarephath. For three and a half years, every day she would go, and there was just enough oil, just enough flour to make food for that day. And then the next day. And then the next day. But Jesus pointed out, you know where she was from? Zarephath? I had to look that up. That was in Lebanon, not Israel. And Jesus is like, notice how it's not Israel? And then he goes on and he says, well, then after Elijah, there was a prophet named Elisha. And he was asked to go heal, sent by God to go heal a man of leprosy named Naaman. And guess what? Naaman was from Syria. Jesus underlines this, not Israel. Woo, we thought about like his Messiah revelation was a big deal. Now these are fighting words. All the people in the synagogue, verse 28, were furious. They got up, drove him out of town, and tried to take him to the hill where the town was built to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Last week, the devil is saying, go jump off a cliff and make a spectacle of yourself. And now people are trying to throw him off a cliff. Okay, so what made them so mad was that here Jesus was saying, look, I am the anointed one. And I want to bring healing, freedom. And then he says, oh, notice the prophets didn't just heal Jewish people. They didn't just bring freedom to Jewish people. And so you put these together and you realize he's saying God's grace is wider. God's grace is about more than just you guys here in the synagogue. About more than just our country. This is for all the people and if you recall, that's what we learned about in Ruth. That's what people kept having to wrap their brains around because Ruth was a Moabite and somehow she was ingrained in God's plan, blessed by his favor. And they had to figure that out. So God has always been doing this. Who is in? Who is out? Jesus said everyone is in. And no one is left out. And God has always been working. And they just could not wrap their minds about such extravagant grace. It went against everything they expected. So they tried to push him out and kill him off. So Jesus headed to another town. Let's find it on a map. He went northeast, right? And he's at the top of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. He's going to be here a lot in his ministry, back and forth. He doesn't stay in one place. But he's going to be here a number of times, so I want us to see where it is. So he traveled from Nazareth to Capernaum. And it says, again, he's going to teach in the synagogue. This was, this was where he started his teaching to get to know all the people in the synagogue. Verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them, and he came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders 
to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. This is an interesting story, and honestly, we're not going to have time to dive into demons today. We will see them again. We'll come back to that. But I want us to note how the people were amazed. Why were they amazed? Well, there was other people around who were like, okay, you have a demon. Let's work on this together. Let me say some words. Let's, let's work through it. And, and they had gotten spirits out before. But with Jesus, he just spoke. And the people could tell a difference. Like, he had authority. He had something different that made this just happen. And so the story here shows us another way that Jesus was defying expectations. The people of Nazareth, they had the agenda for themselves, and God's grace was bigger. Now here the demons had an agenda to bind people, and God says, I'm here for freedom and healing. And they knew he was in charge. Jesus heals again after that worship service. He leaves the synagogue, and some people ask him to come to their home. Jesus went to the home of Simon in verse 38. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So we bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Again, Jesus speaks, and a person is healed. This is Simon we're going to meet later as a follower of one of the disciples of Jesus whose name becomes Peter. This is his mother-in-law. But I'm cracking up. Like, like this woman just, like, pops up and serves. You know, I'm like, whoo, take a minute. Like, have some coffee, girl. Like, you got it going on, but you can take a breath. Does anybody got any moms and aunties and grandmas who are just like, you're serving. Yeah, you see that heart. But I love, too, that, like, there's a commentator that pointed out that Luke, he's very specific about who he's telling us about. He's already showed us that God's grace is equal to all. And now here, the first person who served Jesus, who ministered to him, is this woman. And Luke brings this up that that those who are able to minister to Jesus, that's also open for all. Let's keep reading. Luke 4, verse 40. So all he's, he's healed two people now, right? In the synagogue, in a home. Words getting around. At sunset, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and he laid his hands on each one and healed them. And at daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. You catch that? Like, they brought them at sunset. He finally takes a break in the morning. That's a long night. It's a lot of care. That's a lot of energy and resources he put in. And I love that detail that he's like, he touched them. Because I feel like he wanted them to be seen. He wanted them to be known. To show that God comes right up close. Then, in verse 42, the people, they were looking for him. You know, he went to take a break. And they're like, hey, we're not done yet. We still got some more people. We'd like to hear from you some more. Just hang out with us. And they tried to keep him from leaving. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I didn't pull our map back up, but that's like going south again, back, back toward the Dead Sea. So he's headed out. People didn't want him to go. 
before Nazareth, they're pushing him out. And here the people are pulling him in. They want him to stay. He's got good things to give, right? He's got miracles he can do. He can totally teach us all his wisdom, right? Like, just hold on to him for a while. And that could have been good. I mean, it's not like there wasn't need there. Good people there to want to learn. People who were sick and, and needed healing. So I think this interaction from Jesus and what he had to say that defied their expectations was maybe the hardest thing he had to do. He could look a demon in the face and be like, get, get out. You're ridiculous. He could look at people and say, shape up and show God's grace. But to look at somebody like still hurting, knowing he had to head on, that's hard. It's a hard choice. I don't think it was easy. But Jesus was trying to stick to the bigger plan. I like the way N.T. Wright summarized it. Jesus spent most of his time on the move. He had to tell people that God was becoming king in a new way, that God's long-awaited salvation was breaking into the world, even though it didn't look like they expected it would. Last week we said Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Why was he tested? To like see if he could respond well in private because then when he was going to be in public, you know, the devil had said, do you want glory? Do you want, do you want authority? Do you want people to look at you? And Jesus stayed focused. And here, was a, it was a very big test. He had to stay focused. He had to call people out. He had to leave when maybe he wanted to stay. He had to stay focused. And so he's already living out the test that he passed last week. Jesus was pushed out. He was pulled in by people who had other agendas. He didn't fit into their plan. Let's go back to the river. Let's check out our statues again. Let's hear the rest of the story. Mishakanakwa, he won some battles, but he lost the war. He fought hard to keep his people free. But in 1794, he was defeated and forced to sign over this land, this land, to white people who pushed out all the tribes. James Bradley, he had another story. He crossed over the Ohio River as a free man to Cincinnati, and he enrolled in a place that he heard about. He was the first black student at Lane Theological Seminary, which is actually right that way. It's in Walnut Hills, right here in this neighborhood. My husband's fascinated with the Lane Seminary debates. Please geek out with him sometime. He's got a whole load of history. He wrote a paper on it. But in 1834, there was the Lane Seminary debates, and James was the only former slave to speak, and he preached because he was there to become a minister, and he preached freedom. He preached for the end of slavery. He spoke out. And the plaque by his statue reads, his participation was an eloquent witness to the equality of all. These men were pushed and they were pulled and they tried to stay the course and fight for freedom. And the results, they were mixed, but they stayed. They stuck to their beliefs. They lived it out. At times, it was successful and at times it wasn't. Jesus' goal on earth was to bring freedom to all people. He was pushed and pulled. And people didn't understand his agenda. The people of Nazareth who knew Jesus growing up didn't understand who he'd become. They didn't understand why non-Jewish people were part of this 
great thing that they had been looking forward to. The demons didn't understand that God came to free, not to bind. The people of Capernaum, they couldn't understand why this amazing healer just didn't spend time with them any longer. But Jesus stayed the course. He was guided by God's spirit. And he kept trying to keep the greater, bigger, better goals in mind. Even when the current situation seemed like pretty good, you know? There's going to be times in your life where you're going to be trying to choose better. And people may not understand it. There might be things that you choose to do and your family is like, we didn't raise you that way. Why do you, why do you have faith here? Or they may be like, why do you believe in that nonsense? Some may not understand why you're showing grace to those people, whoever those people are in their minds. Or they might understand that you make choices to act, to live out your faith, and it doesn't match theirs. That's okay. Your journey is not going to look like what people expect. Because I know, I know some of you and some of your stories. I know some of you in this congregation are called to foster kids. And you've had family members say, that is hard, and you should just, just not. But you're choosing to do so anyway, because the scripture Jesus quoted from Isaiah says to care for the poor and the oppressed. Some of you have feel called to switch jobs or locations, and people will question it. They're like, you're leaving something good. And you said, I'm trying to do what I think is better, because... Jesus had to leave good things in order for the greater plan. Some of you, you are called to give time and resources so that good can be done. You give to Echo and we try to share love to our neighbors. You give to other organizations that care about the community. And people might be like, why are you using your money this way? But you're living the way Jesus did where he gave all the resources he had through the night in order to care for the community. And some of you are called to shout and to protest and to speak truth to power because equity and dignity is deserved by all. And you're living out Isaiah because you know God brought good news to the poor. God brought freedom to prisoners. God brought sight for the blind and sets the oppressed free. On this journey, we live. How do we live as the redeemed people of God? We keep asking this every week. If, if Jesus' journey is calling out to our journey, how do we live? I feel like today in Luke 4, we're reminded to follow God's better plan. Don't let others stop you. If it's from God, don't let others hold you back. Don't be pushed away. Don't be pulled into someone else's agenda when you know where God has you. And that's the trick, right? Like we talked about last week, when Jesus heard voices, we hear voices, we hear positive voices, we hear negative voices. Sometimes it's hard to try to sort out the truth. But that's why we stay in community with one another. That's why we read scripture and pray together to say like, let's talk and let's say, is this true? Is this true? And then we can be, we can feel good about our choices and we can then set a path and not veer from it. You were designed for a purpose. And your journey is not going to look like anyone else's. It's not. You look different. 
You were made different. You've got different talents and abilities. You are going to be able to interact with people that other people cannot. And that's good. That's why you were made. But sometimes people kind of look at you funny. And I just say, keep going. Follow God's better plan for you. Proclaim Jesus' freedom in your words and your actions. Push and pull into this world in the here and now because you care about the eternal good. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for living and staying true. Thank you, Jesus, for being on earth and caring about everyone, even when it didn't match people's expectations, even when you had to make hard choices and leave some good places. Thank you, because we're part of that plan now, because you cared long ago. Help us to live like you, no matter if it looks different than the person next to us. Help us to follow your spirit. Help us to to encourage one another and find what's true and live it out in this world. Thank you for being present here with us and for speaking to us today. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.